Texas death row inmates call them the Max. Kenneth Macduff and Jerry McFadden, two violent psychopaths hated and feared by fellow death row inmates. Two killers with a lust for randomly abducting, raping, and murdering young people. Two killers whose victims would still be alive today if Texas had just kept them behind bars. Hello, I'm investigative reporter Robert Riggs with a story from Inside the Crime Scene Tape and Texas Death Row. This is a cautionary tale for the parents of teenagers and for young adults. Evil monsters like McDuff and McFadden still walk among us today. In my podcast series and television documentary about sadistic serial killer Kenneth McDuff, I tell the nightmarish story of how he randomly abducted and murdered three teenagers in a rural area south of Fort Worth. 17-year-old Robert Brand, his cousin 16-year-old Mark Dunham, and 16-year-old Edna Louise Sullivan were parked at their high school's baseball field. On Saturday night of August 6, 1966, they were talking and listening to music on the radio of Robert's newly purchased used car. The top 20 hit that month was Summer in the City by The Lovin' Spoonful. The band's leader, John Sebastian, sang lyrics that resonated with teens, dressing so fine and looking so pretty. 16-year-old Edna Louise Sullivan, a pretty, blue-eyed high school basketball player known as Louise, playfully wrote her name in mascara on the car window. They were unaware that 20-year-old Kenneth McDuff was sneaking up on them with his finger on the trigger of a 38 caliber revolver. In 1965, at age 19, McDuff received a 42-year prison sentence for a string of burglaries and robberies that he called a prank. But Texas ran a revolving door prison system at that time. McDuff walked out on parole after serving only nine months and two weeks of that 42-year sentence. His accomplice, 18-year-old Roy Dale Green, a weak-minded follower who was impressed by McDuff's prison record and his bragging about the number of young women he had already raped and murdered, gripped a broken broomstick handle. McDuff surprised the teens at gunpoint. A fisherman found the boy's bullet-riddled body stuffed into the trunk of Robert Brand's car, which had been abandoned by McDuff on a remote country road. Hundreds of residents and police scoured the rough, brushy terrain for Edna Louise Sullivan. They found her body dumped in a drainage ditch covered with dead bushes. McDuff had brutally raped her with a broken broomstick and used it to crush her throat. Newspapers dubbed him the Broomstick Killer. A jury sentenced McDuff to die in the electric chair, but he escaped his death with the executioner when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the death penalty in 1972. Death row inmate sentences were commuted to life, which meant someday they would become eligible for parole. But who in their right mind would ever release such monsters? Well, Texas did under a cloud of corruption. McDuff started abducting and murdering women the day after he walked out of prison on parole. 
You can hear the full Macduff story by going back to the beginning of this podcast. Now, brace yourself to hear about the other Mac on Texas death row. Jerry McFadden, a rapist and a killer who proudly called himself the animal. When I come back, the story of how Texas turned a cold-blooded rapist and killer loose on an unsuspecting small Texas town. The small East Texas town of Hawkins is known as the pancake capital of Texas. The city's website describes it as a Texas paradise, a place to relax and unwind in the quiet countryside or at the local Lake Hawkins. But there's a dark chapter in the history of Lake Hawkins. It became the scene of a murder investigation and one of the largest manhunts in Texas history. A major crime had never been committed there. Residents left keys in their cars and doors to their homes unlocked. On the clear Sunday evening of May 4, 1986, 18-year-old Suzanne Harrison and her best friend, 20-year-old Gina Turner, jumped in their car and drove out to Lake Hawkins. Suzanne Harrison was a church-going, popular high school cheerleader with an infectious grin. She worked at a local pharmacy. Gina Turner had been voted Miss Hawkins High School and was the valedictorian of the 1984 graduating class. She was enrolled at the nearby Tyler Junior College, studying to become a nurse. Both were fresh-faced brunettes with long, flowing hair to their shoulders. At Lake Hawkins, they met up with 20-year-old Brian Boone, a handsome basketball and football player who had recently graduated from Hawkins High. He, too, was attending Tyler Junior College. Their meeting spot was the local teenager's popular beachside hangout called The Point. The trio had planned to ride around the lake, enjoying the cool night air. Their curfew came and went. They never made it home. The next morning, a Monday, people from the small town began searching. Neighbors at the lake had seen the three missing friends with a scruffy man in a blue and white vehicle that resembled a Ford Bronco. They discovered Brian Boone's truck abandoned by the lake, with the women's purses still in the vehicle. Later that afternoon, they found Suzanne Harrison's body in a ditch. She had been beaten to a pulp, was nude from the waist down, and raped. Harrison had been strangled to death with her white lace underwear, and was found clutching a handful of thorny weeds. Gina Turner's shorts and underwear were found near her friend's body. A young couple who had been parked at the lake that night came forward. They told police that a wild-eyed man with wild, unkept hair confronted them at gunpoint. Beneath his open shirt, they saw a tattoo on his chest that read, Death Before Dishonor, The Lonesome Loser. They offered him a beer and he let them go. They left him standing beside a blue and white Ford Bronco. The next day, police pulled over the Bronco and asked the driver to get out and pull up his shirt. 38-year-old Jerry, the animal McFadden, lifted up his shirt to reveal a lonesome loser tattoo on his chest. According to the prison system, 
McFadden got the animal nickname from fellow inmates. He was assigned to work with animals at a prison farm. After nursing an injured animal back to health, inmates and guards called him the Animal Man. The nickname became associated with his violent reputation. McFadden was taken into custody and jailed on suspicion of aggravated robbery. Five days after they disappeared, the bodies of Gina Turner and Brian Boone were found in a ditch eight miles from where Suzanne Harrison was found murdered. They had been shot to death. Ammunition found in McFadden's Ford Bronco matched the rounds used to kill the pair. Now charged with capital murder, McFadden escaped from the Upshur County Jail in Gilmer, Texas, when he asked to make a phone call. He had a 53-year-old deputy between the eyes with a piece of metal pried from a cell window. After overpowering two guards, he locked them inside a jail cell. McFadden took a deputy's 38 caliber revolver from a locker and stole cash from the prison commissary fund. He made his way to the jail control room on the fifth floor of the county courthouse, where he took 24-year-old Rosalie Williams, a dispatcher, hostage. McFadden fled in Ms. Williams' Datsun 280ZX until it overheated. He held her hostage in a train box car for 16 hours before she escaped. McFadden went for water. Williams crawled on her hands and knees to a nearby house. She described McFadden as very mean. Meanwhile, more than 1,200 law enforcement officers launched a dragnet in one of the largest manhunts in Texas history. They cornered McFadden in the bathroom of a vacant house. He surrendered without a fight. When a police motorcade brought McFadden back to jail, more than 300 people lined the streets cheering, and some wanted to lynch him. The crowd erupted when a woman shouted, string him up. Hundreds of car horns blared to celebrate McFadden's capture. The Texas Parole Board released McFadden in 1985 after he served less than five years of a 15-year sentence for aggravated sexual abuse of an 18-year-old secretary. McFadden, a West Texas oil fuel worker, kidnapped, raped, and sodomized her. The parole board allowed McFadden to move across the state near Hawkins to live with his mother and sister. Then Sheriff Frank White and other Wood County authorities vigorously protested McFadden's release, but the parole board overruled them. It was the second time McFadden had been set free on early parole. His first parole for a double rape was granted after serving less than five years. The parole board did not warn the residents of Hawkins that a two-time convicted violent sexual predator had been set loose in their community. The murders took place at a time when Texas was under pressure from a federal judge to build more prisons to relieve overcrowding. Lawmakers defied the judge. They talked tough on crime by passing longer sentences, but they refused to spend money on more prisons. Democrat and Republican governors freed up prison space by granting prisoners excessive time off their sentences for so-called good behavior. Community members from Hawkins pressed the Texas legislature to stop the parole board from running a revolving door system, but their pleas fell on deaf ears. 
On July 14, 1987, a six-woman, six-man jury took less than 35 minutes to sentence McFadden to death by lethal injection for the rape and strangulation murder of 18-year-old Suzanne Harrison. Sparing expense, prosecutors did not try him for the other two murders. Two years later, in 1989, the Texas Parole Board released sadistic serial killer Kenneth McDuff to live with a sister in Central Texas without warning the community or notifying his victims' families as required by law. McDuff resumed a killing spree one day after he walked out of prison. During my investigation of parole board corruption in mid-1992, I uncovered that nearly 80 former death row inmates had been released with McDuff. The parole board was secretly releasing 150 inmates a day to relieve prison overcrowding. In a fiery hearing, a parole board member admitted they were scraping the bottom of the barrel. On Texas death row, Jerry the Animal McFadden and Kenneth Allen McDuff, the broomstick killer, became known as the Mack Brothers. Their brutal murders finally galvanized lawmakers to stop the revolving door with the passage of the McDuff Law and construction of the largest prison system in the world. Texas executed McDuff in November 1998. The animal, McFadden, followed McDuff to the death chamber in 1999. But it wasn't over yet. Twenty years earlier, McFadden had gotten away with the sexual assault and murder of a 20-year-old woman in Portland, Oregon. He strangled her with the electrical cord from her clock radio. In 2019, homicide detectives tested DNA left at the victim's apartment and identified the animal McFadden as her killer using new forensic genetic genealogy technology. It solved a 40-year-old case. In closing, I want to remind you that all of McDuff and McFadden's victims would still be alive today if Texas had just kept them behind bars and not run a revolving door prison system. True Crime Reporter is written by me, Robert Riggs. It is produced and researched by Siler Burr. You can read more about our team on our website at truecrimereporter.com. And while you're there, please sign up to join our true crime community. It's free. There's a red box on every page to receive our free email updates with behind-the-scenes information. And you can email your suggestions to fan at truecrimereporter.com. I read all of them. This podcast is a trademarked and copyrighted news organization based in Dallas, Texas. Thanks for listening to our Journey into Darkness.